The gospel reading this morning is from John, chapter 20, verse 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The word of the Lord. This is the second Sunday after Easter. This is the season of Easter where we really think more in depth about the resurrection of Jesus and what it means. And um, we started a series in John's Gospel um, back when we first started this this church, um, back in August of 2016. And we've taken some breaks here and there, but um, on Easter we looked at the resurrection in John. And for the next few weeks we're going to be finishing out John's gospel and specifically looking at his encounters, the risen Jesus's encounters um, with, with those who followed him and what that means for us. And so let me pray before we think about this. Father, we thank you for your word, that your word is, is truth. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in that truth, that you would give us um, eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to and to believe, to hear the words of our resurrected Lord, Jesus, um, to know that they are for us this morning. And um, Father, um, would you do this for your own sake and for your own glory? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This this week I I read a story uh, about a girl named Cindy. And this girl, at one point in her life, had found herself in a situation where she was in a grocery store parking lot, and she was, you know, you've, you've, who's been in a grocery store parking lot this week? Probably many of you. Grocery store parking lots are usually busy and hectic and full of people, and yet Cindy found herself in this parking lot sitting on a curb by herself, um, feeling completely lost and completely alone. She sat there on the curb in the parking lot surrounded by Um, people in uh, a busy place in the midst of a busy city, and yet she felt completely isolated. She sat there crying. Just um, a few moments before that scene, her boyfriend had walked out of her life, and she was pregnant, and she was broke, and she was alone, and she was confused. She didn't know what else to do but sit down on the curb and begin to cry. Some of us have been in that spot, similar spots in our life where we didn't know what else to do but just sit down and cry. And at that same time, there was another young woman named Michelle who had driven into that parking lot and she was there to do what everybody else was there to do, to go get their groceries. Get in there and get out of there as quickly as possible, right? She wasn't on a mission. 
She was a 21-year-old college student. She wasn't looking for anybody. She was looking for groceries. But as she walked through the parking lot, she spotted this young woman on the curb, and she approached her. She knelt down, and she said, "Um, is there any way that, that I can help you? And for the next 15 minutes or so, the way that she could help was simply to to sit there with her because Cindy still couldn't speak. She couldn't stop crying. She couldn't get, you've been in that spot before where you can't get the words out because you just cannot stop crying. And that's where this woman was. And so Michelle just waited and she rubbed her shoulder and soon these two strangers began to cry together. And when she was able to speak, she told of her abandonment, she told of her pregnancy, she told of her desperation, and Michelle listened. And those other plans, the things that she came to do, they they began to kind of fade away. Because what she felt is that this was one of those um, thin places. This is one of those places where it felt like heaven and earth were truly touching. When this young, unmarried, pregnant woman felt utterly alone... Forsaken by all, without any hope in the world, Jesus appeared. And he appeared in Cindy's need, and he appeared in Michelle's love, and they wept together, and they talked over this invisible altar where Jesus was crucified and risen and by grace is enthroned. And this friendship blossomed out of that encounter. This encounter that seemed pretty random one that Michelle wasn't looking for, and soon a baby was born, and what she realized is that a resurrection had happened. When she felt that her life was over, God spoke to Cindy through the lips of a stranger, and they became bound together in this common trust of a Lord who doesn't forsake people who find themselves in what we call God-forsaken places that he met her there in the low, despised crevices of the world. We pick back up with John's gospel, and it's still the first day of the week. It's been a busy day, right? Jesus has risen from the dead. He's had an encounter already, and then here, um, as the day is drawing to a close, he encounters his disciples. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you remember that What we looked at is that as Jesus um, rose from the dead, there's all these things. I mean, some of you have been in church a long time. You don't think about necessarily what could have happened um, when somebody rises from the dead, that there could have been a celebration. There could have been a parade. There could have been a party. There could have been um, an I told you so moment, but there's none of that. Instead, the first act of the resurrection is Jesus going to this woman, Mary Magdalene, a a nobody, a nobody. This is the first person he appears to. And he appears to her outside of the empty tomb in the garden as she's weeping, and he asks her these questions, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? You know, Jesus had a way of asking these really simple questions that weren't really simple at all. And this is the very next encounter that we have of Jesus in the passage that Stephanie read to you this morning. This is where we left off, that Jesus seeks out those that just a couple of days before, the ones he had spent the most time with, the most that he invested the most in, the the ones that he had been 
training, that had been following him, who had seen um, his miracles, who had heard his teaching, and then the ones who had utterly abandoned him, had miserably failed him. He goes and he seeks them out. And like I said, you know the story, so we, we kind of forget to think what could have happened in that situation. What I think could have happened is that Jesus could have appeared in that room um, with a pretty stern rebuke. You've been listening to my teaching all along. I've told you over and over again that when we got to Jerusalem, what was going to happen? And yet, you've been arguing over who's the greatest. And when push comes to shove, you know, you fall asleep, you abandon me, and then you deny me. Jesus had every right to say those words, didn't he? And that's not what he says. It's not at all what he says. The one who had told them just days ago, I am not going to leave you as orphans, shows up in this room and he says the first words of the resurrected Jesus to these men. He says, peace be with you. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Peace be with you. New Testament scholar Dale Bruner, he said the risen Lord's initial gift to his assembled disciples is his peace which means his love, his forgiveness, his favor, and his blessing. Thus the first words of the risen Jesus to his gathered disciples are not a command, but a gift. There is no preliminary reminder of the disciples' failure to support him in his crisis. No call for repentance or even for faith. There is sheer grace. Sheer grace. And you know, some of us are here this morning, and we honestly... We have a hard time like wrapping our minds around and computing this word peace, don't we? And I think that we probably have a hard time understanding and comprehending the word peace because we have a really hard time accepting the word grace. And yet Jesus shows up in this scene, and this is the first words that he says to them, and, and what we might be expecting from Jesus is this stern rebuke. Our impulse is to lock the door and hide. If we showed up in my life today, what would Jesus say to me? And it causes us to maybe hide or maybe to run away. But he appears to us this morning and he's saying these words to us this morning. He is saying, peace be with you. How can he say that? And what in the world does that mean? I want us to think about that this morning. And I want to think by starting about this longing, by thinking about this longing that we all have for peace. I mean, we we long for peace. That longing is there. And why, why do we long for peace? Because what we feel in our lives is an absence of peace most of the time. Why do we feel an absence of peace most of the time? I think we feel an absence of peace... Because our own shame and our own sin runs very deep. And we see it revealed to us in new depths and new levels almost every day. And then we combine that with the fact that we live in a world that is very broken and very brutal and very harsh in a lot of ways. And we put those two things together and we start to ask the question, then what is that going to mean for my life? That's where we find the disciples this morning, right? 
That's where they were that evening as they were locked in that room, is that they were terrified, they were huddled together. And what do you think was going through their minds as they sat in that room? I could, I mean, this is speculation, um, of course, but I could think of a few things that they might have been thinking. They might have been thinking, man, I wish I had done that differently, Right? I mean, how could they not be like recounting the last few days and maybe even the last few weeks and maybe even the last few years and meditating on what they said and what they did and what they thought and thinking, I want to do over. I have completely failed. I have completely messed this up. I want to be able to do this over again. Do any of y'all, I don't know, ever meditate on things like that? Do you ever meditate on what you wish you had done differently? Do you ever just meditate on your own sin and your own failures and think, I want to be able to do it over again? Because I know that if I did it over again, I would do it differently. I would do it better. Maybe they're just sitting there feeling very weak and sort of stupid. They're thinking about, you know, what they thought was going to happen when they went to Jerusalem as opposed to what actually happened. That when they, they thought when they got there, they were going to be important, and they were going to be brave, and they were going to be strong, and they might even be sitting on Jesus' right and his left as he ascended a throne. And they're sitting there feeling a little bit stupid. Do you ever meditate on that? Do you ever meditate on what you... Think about what you thought your life was going to look like as opposed to the way that it actually turns out looking. You ever feel like you can't go out and and face the world because what you've come to know for certain by looking at your own life is that I cannot control what's going to happen. And so I would rather sit in a room and I would rather hide. But I think if we're going to sum up the way that they feel, then we look at the text and what the text tells us, one way that they all are feeling And one word is they feel afraid. They're afraid. I mean, they're cowering in fear. They're they're sitting there with the door locked. And why are they afraid? Because they've watched what just happened to Jesus. They're the ones who are the most close followers of Jesus. So they're sitting there thinking, what is going to happen to me next? What is going to become of my life? I don't know if they're just afraid of maybe being caught and maybe being executed as well or or just thinking about the fact that what I thought my life was going to be, it's not going to look like that anymore. And they're terrified and they're afraid. I kind of go through that and I think about what maybe these men were actually feeling. Because it's important when you think about this is where Jesus chooses to show up. Now, I mean, Jesus could have shown up wherever he wanted. Jesus could have showed up at a different part of their life. He could have shown up anywhere. Jesus chooses intentionally this exact moment to appear to these men. When they're locked in a room where they're shivering with fear over what others might do to them and what their their lives might become. And there's a reason, I think, that he appears to them here because Jesus is saying to them, I've come in order to address your fear. There's a reason the first words out of his mouth are, peace be with you. Peace be with you. 
What is it that stands in the way of peace for us? What is it that stands in the way of, of peace for, for you this morning? I, I don't think any of us have a lack of desire for it. I mean, we look at our lives and our lives, you know, if somebody were to ask you this morning during the passing of the peace, what is, what, what's your life like? What describe, what's one word to sum up your life? None of us would probably say peace, right? And if we did, the other person would be like, you're a liar, right? <laughs> we, we have a strong desire for peace. I mean, I, I, we really want it, or what we at least we think is peace. It's not, so it's not a lack of desire. It's probably not even a lack of effort that we try to create peace. I think that most of us, if we really look deep down underneath the motivations of why we do most of what we do, the reason we're doing the things that we do is that what we want is to create peace. We want to get to a place where eventually we can say, I now feel at peace. And there's this little part of us that thinks that we can actually create it. There's a little part of us that thinks that we can actually control things enough. This is why we become control freaks. Why are you a control freak? Because you want peace. There's this part of us that thinks, well, maybe if I alter my schedule just right, maybe if I master my schedule and I time it out just right, and I cut out the right things, maybe then, what are we looking for? We're looking for peace. You know, maybe if we, um, yeah, we, we kind of master the, the work-life balance, which is a myth. We, or, or maybe we, we figure we, we might just need more alone time in our life. That's what I need. Other people are causing my life to be chaotic. Or maybe we think just the opposite. We need more people in our life. Maybe we think we need the right people in our life. It doesn't matter what it is. If we really look at our motivations, what we start to find is what we want is this idea of, of, of peace. The Hebrew word is shalom. That we want things to be right again. We want things to be harmonized. Maybe we listen to the articles and we assume that maybe they're right, maybe my screen time is making me depressed, and so um, we, we, we make new rules for ourselves, and we follow those rules for a number of days, maybe a number of hours. Right? Have any of y'all done that? I'm not going to look at my phone for the next hour. Three minutes later. Or maybe we just get to the point where we start to we start to kind of give up. And what we actually want is we just want to feel better. And we think maybe in feeling better that we'll find peace. And so we start to find ways that we numb ourselves out. We start to find certain things. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's just um, scrolling through the internet, looking for the next thing that I'm going to buy. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's something else. And we just want the other feelings to go away. All of our efforts to orchestrate peace in our life come up utterly short. You know that, right? We know that. All of of the effort to actually create peace in our life, it falls flat on our face. And into that, 
Think about your own life right now. Think about the ways in which you want to orchestrate it. Think about the ways in which you've tried to manipulate it. And think about this, that Jesus this morning walks into the midst of that, even as he walked into the midst of the disciples in their failure and in their fear. Jesus embodies peace. He calls himself the Prince of Peace. He's among us right now, even this morning, and he walks into the midst of of our failed attempts to create any sort of peace. He walks into the midst of our failure. He walks into the midst of our sin. He walks into the midst of our addiction. He walks into the midst of our brokenness. And he says to us this morning, not the words of a stern rebuke, but he says the words to us, I'm here to give you peace. It's the reason that I died and it's the reason that I rose again is because the thing that you're looking for, the very thing that you're looking for, you can't make it, you can't manufacture it, you can't find it anywhere else. I'm giving it to you as a gift this morning, says the resurrected Jesus. And I, and I know that there's a skeptical side of us that wants to say, and my, I have a very cynical, skeptical side myself, and I want to say, how in the world can you say that, Jesus What gives you the right to say, peace be with you? And Jesus, he doesn't really say anything right after that. He just says, peace be with you. And I imagine they're all looking at him and going, how did he get in here? Um, And instead of, this is what, Okay, I love a lot of, I was about to say, this is what I love about Jesus. I love a lot of things about Jesus, but I love the fact that he says, peace be with you, and there's all of these questions that are flowing through their minds, and Jesus doesn't say, okay, let me get out the whiteboard, and I'm going to explain why this is peace, and why I came to bring peace, and what it means that I'm going to be making all things new, and I'm restoring um, shalom and this unification of all these things together because I'm bringing heaven and earth. He doesn't do any of that. Jesus does this instead. He pulls up his sleeve. And then he pulls up the side of his tunic. And they see his scars. Jesus puts those things together for them. Peace be with you. How can you say that? Well, let me show you. There's a man named Edward Shalito who fought in World War I. And he was devastated by that war in a lot of ways. He was devastated by the things that he saw and the violence, um, by just everything about the, the brokenness of the world contained in that war. And he was having a really hard time um, dealing with it. And the place where he ended up finding comfort was in this scene where Jesus shows his disciples his scars. And he wrote a poem about it a few years later that was called Jesus of the Scars. In his last stanza, he said this, The other gods were strong, but thou was weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Jesus of the Scars shows up in a resurrected body with the wounds of his crucifixion still intact. 
He shows up in the midst of his peer, their fear because peace is what he has actually come to give. This is what he is all about. It's what he's come to restore. And Jesus embodies peace because why? Because peace is rooted in grace. Peace is rooted in forgiveness. Peace is rooted in us getting the opposite of what we deserve. Here comes Jesus not giving them what they deserve in this room where they're cowering in fear with the doors locked, but the resurrected maker and creator of the heavens and earth shows up among them. What do they deserve? They deserve a lot. And Jesus says to you, I give you peace. You want to see how? Let me show you my scars. You see, grace is what Jesus came to give them. Forgiveness is what Jesus has accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection. And he's saying, this is now what defines you. You may not feel at peace, but this is now what defines you. You are no longer, my disciples, defined by what you did in the past. You are not defined by what you are doing right now. You are not even defined in what is going to come in the days ahead. What defines you is that you are united with me in my death and in my burial, in my resurrection, that is who you are. And Jesus is saying, if you want peace, that is the only thing I got for you, and it's the only thing that will give you peace. You cannot manufacture it. You can't create it. You can't do anything to get it. You simply can receive it. It is a gift. And the disciples, I mean, this translation is a little bit weak. The disciples, it says, and they were glad when they saw Jesus. the, The language is stronger than that. They were ecstatic. They weren't ecstatic at first when he said, peace be with you. They were ecstatic when they saw his wounds because I think that was running through their head is those words of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist first introduced Jesus, Jesus is coming. Who is he? He is the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And it starts to click in their minds. Here stands Jesus before us saying, peace be with you and showing us his scars. The one who washed our feet just a few nights earlier and served us this Passover meal is the actual spotless lamb of God who has come to take away my sin. And he is now the one standing in front of me speaking peace to me. What might it mean for you this morning? To see, to hear the risen Jesus as he speaks to us this morning in his words, say to use those words. As you're running through your mind like the chaos of your own life, the brokenness of your own life, the failure that you have um, fallen into even this week for Jesus to show up with wounds in his hands and in his side and say to you, "I, I am here to give you not what you deserve. I am here to give you peace. That is what I've come to do. What if his first words to you are not a reminder of your failings? You remind yourself enough of that as it is. What if his first words to you are actually a gift? I want to give you peace. What are the results of that? Let me wrap up with this. Jesus, he he gives them this peace so that he can... Now send them on a mission that they couldn't go on by themselves. They never would have gone on if it was up to them. 
because what they would have defined the rest of their life by was that mo- those moments from a few days ago. They would have defined their life by the fact that we are failures. And Jesus says, no, you're not. You were loved. You were forgiven. Your life is hidden in mine. And he repeats the phrase again. He says, peace be with you one more time. You now have peace. You now have forgiveness. And then he says these mind-boggling Crazy words, as the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. You ever thought about how crazy those words are? As the Father sent Jesus to incarnate flesh, to be born of a woman, and to go and live in obscurity and relative poverty for a while, and then to be like beaten and crucified, that's the way that we're going to send you now. And there's no way that they had an understanding of what that meant. Because it is a mind-boggling statement. In the same way that the Father sent Jesus, now Jesus says, now I am sending you. How can that be? The, the reason it can be is this, is because they have risen with Jesus. They don't understand that fully yet. We may not understand that fully yet, but Jesus knows that it's true because Jesus did it. You rose with me. You are no longer what you once were. You are now part of the new creation. In the resurrection, a reversal of things happen, and Jesus is saying, you're a part of that, and so as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you into the world to go into the low places, to go into the crevices, and to go into the valleys. But he doesn't send them alone. Jesus goes with them. You remember in another gospel, he says, behold, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. How? Because he sends them with his spirit. Jesus leans over and does this bizarre thing to them. He says, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then he breathes on them. And it should invoke something in our brains. If we're familiar with the Bible, it should go back to the very beginning of the Bible when God creates man out of the dust and then he breathes into them. Jesus is showing us that this is part, this is the new creation. That the things that were broken, I am come to, I've come to address. And he breathes their spirit. He breathes life into them. And then he leaves them with this somewhat odd verse. Verse 23. He says, if you then forgive any sins, the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness of any, it is withheld. What does he mean? Is Jesus now, as he breathes the spirit into them to go send them out into the world, is Jesus saying... Now you in and of yourself have power to forgive sin or to not forgive sin. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I want you to listen again to to Bruner and what he says. He says, The disciples have learned over and over again that forgiveness of sins is the unmerited gift that Jesus grants to those who put their trust in him. Disciples do not make this gift for others. They simply share it with believers and so pass it on. That is how they are forgiving, namely by giving forth the good news of Jesus' deep forgiveness. And how do they retain or pronounce as unforgiven other people's sins? When they warn the unrepentant and unbelieving of the consequences of repented sin, of unrepented sin. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. For those of us who are here this morning who know him, who have heard his peace, this is what he's saying to us. He's saying, 
um, open up your eyes and look around where I'm sending you. It might be as simple as through the parking lot of a grocery store. To offer peace to someone who may not see that could ever be possible. And that means for us this morning, as I close, it means we don't have to live in locked rooms. It doesn't mean that you're never going to be afraid again. This is, it doesn't mean that you're never, going to be, you're never going to have fear, you're never going to have doubt. You're never going to have this. But I want you to go back in your mind as, you, as we lock ourselves, maybe not in a literal room, maybe some of us actually do that, but when we lock ourselves in the room of our own mind, when we meditate on what had happened, on what we did do, on our past, on our failure, of all the things that we think that define us, and we hear these words again, my peace I'm giving to you, peace be with you. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to live defined by anything else but me anymore. That's peace. You don't have to live based on anybody else's opinion of you anymore. That is peace. You don't have to live based on how important or unimportant your job is anymore. That is peace. My peace I give to you. This is what Jesus has come to give us this morning. And it means you do not have to live locked up inside of yourself anymore. In fact, Jesus says you can't. I'm sending you out with this peace, with this light, because there's others who need to hear it in this world. Let me pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We give you praise as we have already over and over again. Um, We're meant to worship and we're meant to praise, and so we give you praise this morning. Um, for your son Jesus, the risen Jesus, who right now sits at your right hand and who right now is, is interceding for us. And we thank you that this morning that he speaks peace to us. Father, there are some here this morning who are um, so trapped in our own minds. We are so locked up because we can't get over maybe what our life is like and what we thought it would be. Maybe we're trapped in our own minds because of things that we've done that we think can never be forgiven. Maybe we're trapped and locked up in our own minds because we can't think of or comprehend of a way that it could be any different. And Father, we thank you that the risen Jesus comes and meets us this morning here at this table, speaking peace to us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.